Слава Україні! Ukraine will regain all the territory it is entitled to under international law. It is just a matter of time. My belief is based on the developments in Ukraine since the revolution of dignity compared to Russia's development during the same period. The question is how quickly we will get there. The most changeable influence on that is when we in the West ask ourselves who we are, what we stand for, and whether we mean it in a way that manifests itself in the face of the threat of tyrants. The political homogeneity of Ukrainians and their will to defend their homeland has never been stronger, while Russia has sunk deeper and deeper into autocratic civil society depravity. The result is a war in which the people on the side of the defending country feel they have everything to fight for and against, while the Russians are fighting a war to which the vast majority have no emotional attachment. It may well be that before 24th of February 2022, we foresaw a battle between David and Goliath, but at the end of the day, politics and war are about people, and even the best-bun Russian narratives does not evoke the same emotions in Russian soldiers that the Ukrainians feel. In this sense, even though the West has completely failed in its moral and strategic responsibility towards Ukraine, there is no weapon in the world stronger than fighting for an idea and the country you believe in. Even if Ukraine has to fight years into the future, their strength, motivation and emotions will be the same. It is, an, it is an existential struggle for survival that will only be won when all the, territor- when all the territory they are, they are entitled to under international law is under de facto Ukrainian control. This is in stark contrast to the motivational development we can expect from the Russians. Something close to a miracle will have to happen if the negative spiral in the Russians' attitude towards the war is to be broken. All of this is of course just my personal assessment, but as someone who predicted Ukraine's defense posture even before the war, the pattern of comments from various discourse-determining voices looks like wine in bottles from February 2022. Today, on the eve of an expected Ukrainian spring offensive, Various hugely important voices among those who make decisions and set the standard in public debate are expressing concern about our support for Ukraine, citing loose speculation about the outcome of Ukraine's spring offensive. It is very reminiscent of what we saw before the large-scale invasion last year, because unfortunately we are seeing that exact trend in the discussion of arms to Ukraine now ahead of the offensive that only a handful know the plans for. The White House has made comments about the necessity of a peace process if the Ukrainian spring offensive fails with unclear objectives that it apparently must meet if a peace process is not to be initiated. In addition, 
Various comments from Germany and France have redrawn the picture of a paralyzed continental Western Europe showing no signs of interest in wholeheartedly throwing itself into the Ukrainian freedom struggle. The problems with the misinterpretation of Ukraine are manifold, but the biggest is the very mechanism of predictions presented as if we ourselves are not responsible for the development of the war. Fortunately, my country, Denmark, is among the advocates of increased arms support, but there are strong forces in the EU, especially France and Germany, who are pulling in a different direction, painting a picture of the war as something we have no influence on and thus are not held responsible for. It also blocks the fundamental question of who we are, which the Ukrainian willingness to defend themselves should otherwise, in every conceivable way, give rise to. The question of who we are, the who in this case meaning the countries who since World War II have created a global sphere of free democratic countries that enjoy and create freedom. This is an existential question which I think we often deviate from because the answer is unknown and associated with fear because it is related to whether or not we actually stand up for that freedom when the people who live as neighbors to Russia and China are threatened by Russian and Chinese power. So the question is, first of all, who are we in the free democratic part of the world? And do we actually stand up for that freedom when people who live in close proximity to strong autocratic powers? Do we then actually stand up for that freedom for those people and protect it with our military power? And now that I have asked this question, why don't I answer it and say that in realpolitik terms we don't and in fact we never have since the fall of the Berlin Wall. Every time Russia has violently oppressed neighboring populations, we have blatantly accepted and continued trade based on a German mirage of Russian change through trade, Vandal, Durk, Handel. We do stand up for ourselves through our rhetoric and through institutionally enshrined values in documents such as the Human Rights Convention and the UN Charter, and then we do it in realpolitik through alliances such as NATO that guarantee the freedom of people with hard power. The problem arises when our willingness to stand by who we are are tested in the face of autocratic threats to peoples and countries that want to join us but are still outside our sphere of freedom guaranteed by the United States. We saw this well tested in February 2022 when it became clear that Russia would launch a large-scale invasion of Ukraine and we see it tested now to a lesser extent ahead of the Ukrainian counteroffensive. I think we failed the first time and I think we are about to repeat that mistake. Instead of providing substantial assistance to Ukraine's defense war 
at the second attempt, the coming of that assistance is being blocked by slogans of fear of Ukrainian defeat and Russian in- and Russian escalation. The paradox of these slogans is that in the end, we have only ourselves to thank for all the territory that Ukraine will not regain during the spring offensive. In fact, it starts way back in 2028 when Germany and other blocked Ukraine's accession to NATO, opening the door for a Russian invasion of Ukraine. We also failed to resist when Russia, with the invasion of Crimea and eastern Ukraine in spring 2014, launched what became a large-scale invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, and even then we stood passively by leaving the defense of the Ukrainian homeland solely to the Ukrainians themselves. Fortunately, we are in a different place today after more than a year of large-scale war. A broad alliance of countries, the UDCG, the Ukrainian Defense Contact Group, also known as the Ramstein Group, led by the United States, is making a major contribution to Ukraine's defense war. But the support is still no stronger than the only thing we dare to say is abstract statements about willingness to support Ukraine for as long as it takes. This leaves us, it seems to me, once again in a situation where it one more time is a prerequisite for Ukraine to exceed our expectations if they want to be assured of continued and escalated armed support. As described, I do not doubt for a second that Ukraine will eventually regain all its territory according to international law. I take comfort in that, but it pains me to see how the West passively and apathetic looks on and only manage to change its attitude when Ukraine exceeds the expectations that history shows us we wrongly have of their warfare and mastery of Western weapons technology. We should be somewhere else, first and foremost, for Ukraine's sake and ultimately for our own sake.